0: You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 220, Michelle Rayburn and Growing in Christ. There's hope no matter where you are. Hey friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited that you are. Uh, it's always, uh, always great when I see that people are downloading and listening because I know that if you do, you're going to learn something and you probably learn something about the Lord and how he works in your life and my hope is that that's encouraging to you. If you haven't had a chance, please go out to halfwaytherepodcast.com and uh, you can sign up for our mailing list there just to uh, keep up on stories that I share in email that uh, you don't always get anywhere else. And I'd love to have you do that so you never miss an episode. Uh, this episode is going to be great. We have a, uh, a really wonderful conversation. Our guest, she's a freelance writer, a fellow podcaster. Um, she's She is a business person. We've been talking about that, which is was kind of fun. She's also an author, um, which is really great. She's, her latest book is Classic Marriage, Staying in Love as Your Odometer Climbs, which is a, a nice metaphor for that. Our guest is Michelle Rayburn. Michelle, welcome to Halfway There.
1: Thank you for having me. I have been listening to Halfway There for a few months when I'm out on my walks in the morning, and I've loved getting to know your guests.
0: Oh, uh, That's fantastic. Well, thanks for doing that. I love having people on the show who actually are like regular listeners because that is, is really fun, but then you, partly you know what to expect, but uh, it's kind of different maybe being on the other side of the questions than just listening.
1: Yeah, actually, it's a little more nerve wracking when I'm the one being asked the questions because usually I'm doing the interviews with somebody. Okay,
0: so yeah, right, because you're a podcaster. Do you yeah. do you do this? I do this when I listen to other shows too. Like I imagine how I would answer the question when people are asked questions. Do you do sometimes. that sometimes? Yeah.
1: I do, but mostly I like to go afterwards and look up the person and just stalk them a little bit and see what they do outside of the show.
0: Yep, find out who they are. I love that.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, the internet's really great for that. That's a good. Yeah, uh,
1: it's awesome. A <laughs>
0: good thing. Cool. Well, I gave that kind of brief and broad overview of who you are. Why don't you tell us a little more about where God has you right now?
1: Wow. Where he has me right now. I'm passionate about writing, but just like a lot of writers, I have to have a full-time job. So I figured out how to merge that by helping other writers with some of the work I do. So I edit books and I help people with their cover design and stuff like that for my full-time work. But then my writing is really where my heart is because I can reach an audience Mine is specifically women because I write who I know best. (laughs) I'd be terrible at writing for men. So even if um, I'm writing for men, I include my husband in some of the opinions that I'm putting out there.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah. And then I'm also passionate about helping people grow spiritually. So some of what I do is working through my local church, like helping to write small group materials and Bible studies and that kind of thing. And um, a lot of it's just what God's putting on my heart. So he's always growing and changing me and then i want to tell that to other people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's uh and that's a great way to kind of process what you're what you're learning, right? Is to put it into It is. writing, yeah.
1: Yeah, and when i look back at like where i was when i was younger, where i I'm 51 now. I look back at where i was in my 30s and sometimes i cringe because i think i knew so much <laughs> and I taught things that I didn't really live and I'm still, you know, we're always evolving and changing. So I have not arrived yet, but just looking back in comparison, I wish I could go back and redo some of the ministry work I did back then.
0: Yeah. In what way? Like just, just do you think it would be better or what?
1: Well, I was in my 20s and early 30s when I started speaking for women's groups, and I did a lot of teaching based on knowledge, like growing your knowledge of the Bible Mm. and knowing more about how to be a Christian. But then ultimately, if I look back, I was teaching more from a religiosity or um, like rules oriented way of living instead of looking at what it means to be transformed by the gospel. So sometimes being transformed is the painful process and you don't have all the answers and you have to live it out in kind of ugly ways in your own life. So if I could teach that now, I would be teaching from a place of not standing on a platform, but really standing beside the people. And that's where I teach from now is like, we're in Mm. this together and I'm in the process too. Wow.
0: I love that. Yes. So our church just hired a new pastor. And one thing throughout the process, I, I told all the search team members whenever I talked to them, I'd be like, look for maturity, right? You gotta look for somebody mm-hmm. who is um, I mean, season's not the right word, but who's suffered a little bit, right? Like who's who's gone through right. some things because that's where we that's the crucible that we learn in, right? That's what God uses to take things out of us.
1: It's true. I think there are people who sometimes are wise for their age. Yeah. So there are people who are 25 who could teach even more than I can, because probably they have lived more. Maybe it was just that I had a fairly easy upbringing. And so I didn't have a lot of that testing and opportunity really for God to work on me.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's go back into that. And then we'll, we'll maybe hear how God has uh, worked in your life. I know we will. So, um, or else I'm not doing my job. So let's, uh, wh- wh- you're in Wisconsin now. Are you from Wisconsin?
1: Yes. I've always been in Wisconsin.
0: And where do I'm you- in
1: Northern Wisconsin now, but I started out more in the Southern part of the state. Uh-huh. And then my parents moved us North for a job change for my dad. And then 15 years ago, my husband and I moved farther North for a job change for my husband.
0: Gotcha. And, uh, wh- so what was your family like? What was the spiritual climate like there?
1: So I grew up in a Christian family and I would say a really safe environment. So I didn't really have a lot of friends outside of church. My parents thought it was really important to send us to a Christian school. And so I went to Christian school until I was in eighth grade, which I think really it protected me. But it also gave me some blinders and not really understanding what real life was like for other people. And I did go to a public high school, so I think that was eye-opening for me, yeah. but I accepted Christ when I was I, five or six years old. I remember my Sunday school teacher, uh, Miss Willie, she was explaining the gospel and um, she was our pastor's wife. And I just remember sitting on the little chairs in Sunday school and saying, yeah, that's me. I raised my hand and I want Jesus in my heart. But I don't think I really understood it until I got older. That's probably the case with a lot of people who grow up in a Christian family. Yeah. As a teenager, well, I went to a conference oh, and ahead. that was when I really rededicated my life to the Lord and said, you oh, know, this is a choice I'm making. I want to follow the Lord.
0: Yeah. I, I love that. So I think you're right. It is, but I think children can make that decision. Right. And I think,
1: Oh, I agree. You, you're yeah. never
0: going to, I don't know what age you will actually get all of it. Right. When you, when you first, right. I'm not sure you have to, I think you have to just know that you trust Jesus.
1: Yeah. I think what we look for though, sometimes is like that moment. Like we ask people, when did you come to know the Lord? It's like, well, for me, it was a process. And so yes, from the time I was a small child, I was involved in church. My parents were worship leaders. So from a young age, I was upfront playing piano and singing and involved in that. And so a relationship with the Lord was real for me, but I didn't live it out in everyday life the way that I did after I can really say, yes, I committed to being sold out to following the Lord. And again, it was still a process because that was at 16 years old. And I said, I want to be baptized then and really made that my proclamation of faith. But compared with now and then, I would say I was, again, spiritually immature.
0: Sure. And that's okay, because you should be expected yeah. to be there when you're 16, <laughs> yeah. right? So what... Um, and what was that moment like? What was that sort of camp moment like for you?
1: I was at a conference, a youth conference oh, yeah. in at some university in Wisconsin. And I remember, you know, the emotions and everything that comes with the speaker on the stage is sharing something that really gripped my heart. And that, I thought, that's me. I'm living this fake life. I'm a fake follower of Jesus and I want to be 100% in. But at 16 years old, I had a lot of questions yet because I had been raised in my early years in a more Reformed tradition, Calvinist tradition. And then my parents had changed churches to an evangelical free church around the time that I went to that conference. I had already been questioning, like, what do I believe and all these different denominations? What do they believe? I was confused because I went to a Lutheran school. <laughs> so oh, wow. that's another whole doctrine, set of doctrines. So I was really exploring and Ultimately, what I landed on was going back to the Bible for truth instead of looking at what one particular denomination believes.
0: Yeah, that's always interesting. the The whole thing, I know that. Um, you know, just just the, yeah. I so I actually grew up in the E Free Church, but okay. Uh, so that was where kind of where we went, but it was pretty not reformed. And then um, we got a reformed pastor. So then we were, then we were. Reformed. Yeah.
1: And that's typical of the evangelical free church because it isn't run by like a diocese or a synod or something like that. And so the direction is a little more congregational. I've now landed in a Wesleyan church and really feel like that's where I fit. But uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit about that journey of how we got there because... Six years ago, my husband had a sabbatical from his job and I had been very involved in the church that we were part of. At that time, it was a Baptist church. So I've had quite an eclectic background Yeah, and it was a good, solid Bible teaching church, but there wasn't a lot of spiritual growth happening outside of the four walls. There was a lot happening inside in Bible studies, but Um, My husband and I were both exploring this idea of like, what would it be like if God sent us to a place where it was a lot messier, where there were people who had gone through divorce or drug addiction or things that just seemed like almost we were in a sterilized version of Christianity where there weren't a lot of people who had been through a lot of struggles. And so God called us to a different place and not because of a conflict that we were in, but just because we sensed that we would grow spiritually if he took us to a place where ministry didn't look quite as neat and tidy.
0: Yeah. Which I think is where the growth happens, right?
1: Yeah, it does. And so that's been really good for our marriage too, because we've served together as small group leaders and um, been on a a team for helping people take next steps. And that's just been good for us to be part of that.
0: Mm, I love that. Great. Even though it's, it's an interesting journey, right? From growing up in the sort of reformed tradition to a Wesleyan tradition is that they're very different.
1: (laughs) They're very different. And I think I don't, criticize any one denomination, but I do think sometimes we spend a lot of time debating on which one is theologically correct. And then outside of that, there's this whole world that doesn't really care at all (laughs) what the difference is between them. They just need some hope and they need to know that like, there's life outside of the mess that they're living in. And so, you know, you see their eyes glaze over when someone talks about Calvinism or yeah. Arminianism and it's like, yeah, that doesn't matter to them. They want to know Jesus.
0: Right, exactly. Wow, I spent a long time uh it, so I spent a long time getting a theological education. So I was uh, steeped <laughs> in that forever. It was it was fun for a while and then it was not fun. But anyway, um, so, okay. So you had this experience as a, as a teenager and you know, you, so then you were probably discipled there. Was there somebody who stands out to you or was there, what was that discipleship process like?
1: For me, I really wasn't discipled until I got to college. Mm. So I went to, I left for college at age 18. I got involved in Campus Crusade for Christ. And that was a really awesome experience for me as far as spiritual growth, because I was on a state campus. I was at the University of Wisconsin and I went, you know, with this idea that I was going to go to get an education. I wasn't looking for an excuse to party. That was really never part of who I was, but I didn't know where in the world was I going to find Christian friends. My first day on campus, my RA came and knocked on my door and invited me to a picnic. And it was a Campus Crusade for Christ picnic. I got really involved in the organization with a mentor who met with me to do one-on-one Bible study. She encouraged me to go out and start Bible studies and do some leadership things in the organization. And we were going door-to-door, knocking on people's dorms, yeah. and sharing this little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. I don't know if you're familiar with Classic. that. Classic. <laughs> yeah. So we knock on the door, and you open the book, and you talk about how God has a wonderful plan for your life. And then there's this illustration with the separation showing our sin. I mean, that's it's a great illustration. But the problem with me doing that was, I was living in what I can look back at now and see that was a Pharisee mindset of mm. these people need fixing, and I'm I'm not bringing them hope. I'm just going to come and just knock them over the head with you know this spiritual idea. But I wasn't really thinking about discipleship myself. even though I was being discipled. So it wasn't until my mid thirties when I came across Luke 18. I mean, I'd read it a million times before, but it just hit me when, well, the opening verses say Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. And then he talks about how the two men went to the temple to pray and the Pharisee was despising this tax collector and the words he said as he looked over were that he was glad he was not like that that tax collector. And I thought, that's how I was when I was going door to door, was thinking, I'm glad I'm not like these partiers. I'm glad I'm not like this person. And it was totally misguided. It just shows, though, that God can use even our mixed up, immature. Like, I know there were people that came to a relationship with Christ because of things we did on campus, even though we didn't have it all together as students ourselves.
0: Right. Yeah. I actually do love that. That's one thing I've learned from doing this podcast is that so many people, you know, come to Christ in ways that I would not have expected. Right. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't have to be fully baked. It just needs to be enough, right. For them to, to know that they, they want to follow him. And then if they do, and assuming they have good community around them, that's what it matters, right? So right. um, you know, the goal ultimately is a spiritual maturity, not not just getting them over the line, as it were, which is I think my my problem with the four spiritual laws and some of that way. I grew up in that right. too, right? Like, oh well, we just gotta get them to believe these certain things and then Exactly,
1: we and can, then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and that's and then we're missing the next step.
0: <laughs> right, right. And where is that? Yeah. What is that? I always say yeah. as evangelicals, we have two uh spiritual disciplines, read the Bible and pray, and nobody ever teaches you how to do either one. Right. Like it's just mm. that's it. That's that's uh that's our plan for discipleship. But yeah. A- anyway, so okay, so you went um, so you were doing this in college and and you were you had this really big moment. So miss I know that's later, um, where you were reading, kind of realized that you were living in maybe had mm. had this pharisaical idea. Um how'd that change you? How'd that shape you? What God do with that?
1: It's changed the way I write and speak, especially, and it's also changed my heart for people. So I think about it not in terms of what you should do, but it's more of an us and a we and how God can change us. And the other thing is like, I seek out relationships that I would have normally avoided. So I grew up in an environment where you you avoid people who might contaminate you for better, you know, like contaminate me as a Christian. Instead I'm willing to go to lunch with somebody who uh, isn't necessarily on the same page spiritually. They might be in a far out place. And I know the Holy Spirit's going to protect me and I'm not going to fall into, you know, like maybe new age thinking or something like that. I'm willing to have conversations and open the door to just learn more about people. But the other thing that I think is important to note is that the Pharisees had good intentions. And mm. so when I say I look back and I, I I can see that I was a Pharisee, it's like they were religious people and they were trying to protect the truth. And so they thought they were doing the right thing. And I think there are a lot of people in our churches that think they're doing the right thing by keeping those boundaries and protecting, and, you know, like, thinking that somehow letting this person in is going to contaminate and water down what we're teaching. And, you know, it's one thing to have a person in leadership Uh, that there's a whole different standard for leaders and teachers, but it's another to be like in a Bible study together and be exploring God's word there. I want to have like a space where people can ask questions and where it's okay to say, I'm not sure I believe this particular thing and just let them explore it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and that was one of the problems. So I'm glad you said that about Pharisees that not all Pharisees missed Jesus, right? Yeah. But there there were some who actually were curious enough about him to come and and talk to him, right? There were some. I mean, he was buried in a Pharisee's tomb. So mm-hmm. like they they were out there and um and they did they did actually recognize him. They may have been a few and far between, but they actually were the ones who were concerned about God's heart. They had read scripture mm-hmm. and said, Hey, look, uh, God was pretty clear that if we break the covenant, he will break us. Right. Like that was, yeah. that was, that was it. So he broke us. We broke the covenant. How do we not break the covenant? Which is an appropriate response. It's the way that they burden people with it. Right. That, right. That also was troublesome. And Jesus actually says that at times, you know, you, you, convert people and you make them twice as bad as you are, he says. Um, but then he also says, my, one of my favorite places, I keep going back to this this year in John 5, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Right? Which is a little bit mind-blowing as evangelical, right? I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> are you really? Uh, but they testified to me. And that's what he they're trying. And they missed wow, yeah. some of him. So um, I love I love to reflect on that whole thing with the Pharisees, like, yes, they, they got it, but not quite. Right.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's like those attitudes can still come out in us at any time. So, you know, you get going in a path where you're pursuing Christ, but then you realize, Oh yeah, I'm starting to think like somebody who's trying to protect my, uh, you know, certain boundaries. And I'm, I'm not reaching out and thinking like Jesus did where I'm seeking out lost people. And I don't, I don't know if I even love the term "lost." I don't yeah. know how you feel about that, but it is used in scripture. Um, just the idea that there's there are people who are wandering and trying to find truth. And if I make my small group so tight that only people who are studying the word daily and praying regularly can feel comfortable there, then I've missed out on those opportunities to bring in the same kind of people Jesus would have brought into a group.
0: Right. Absolutely. It's it's. I can't remember if this is Luke 15, that's where, uh, the prodigal son is. Right. But there's those kingdom stories where Jesus tells, you know, about the lost coin or the lost mm-hmm. sheep. And, uh, you know, so yeah, absolutely. He, but the moral of those stories is, well, the, the owner goes and searches for them relentlessly. Right. Until they, mm-hmm. until they find them. Um, right. yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So your story, so, so it sounds like that sh- sort of shaped you. What, um, you know, I'm curious, was was there any other, you know, like result of that? Like, did you try to go, okay, who am I going to interact with that I wouldn't have interacted with before? How did that change?
1: Yeah. So I joined, I've joined a few different groups over the years, especially in the last 10 that were more like a business group, a group of business women and got to know some people who were not part of a church group. Mm -hmm. And that has changed me too, because I've realized more about what people need and what they're longing for. If I'm only within the church, then I only know what Christians long for. And I don't really know what people who have no contact with church or who have been burned by the church long for. I've met a lot of people through that business group that were in that category of like, I grew up in church and I want nothing to do with it because it rules, regulations, legalism, something happened that made them feel like they didn't belong there.
0: Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's that's fascinating.
1: (laughs) But you know, it happens because I look at like, even within my own family and my own circle of friends that, you know, like when I was in high school, there was like this, it was like the scarlet letter, like the classic book that, you know, if a girl was pregnant, it was, all, you know, you stand in front of the church and yeah. you're going to confess your sin and apologize to the congregation. And there's just things like that, that made people so humiliated that wow. they wanted to walk away. And I think we can blend truth and grace together. So I think that's what was missing. It's like, we need truth. I don't want to take that out of Christian circles at all, because if we take the truth away, we have like a Big old gray area. (laughs) Yeah, but I want to see more grace. And I would say in my early formative years, grace was like such a tiny little thing that was part of it. And over the years, I've found a better balance between truth and grace.
0: Yeah, I'm convinced you cannot preach the gospel of no condemnation with condemnation.
1: That's right. You you can't.
0: It just doesn't work. You're preaching a different gospel. What also
1: happens is we we teach the gospel of no, it's not works-based, but then we almost make it just like the pharisees where we give all these rules. Yeah. And so I I think what I ended up in college at this place where I thought I just had to be a good enough girl for God to love me. And so I realized that one point I'm living exactly like I would if I believed in a works-based religion. Wow. Even though I didn't believe that, I would tell people, it's not by anything you do, not by works of righteousness, all of those things. And yet I lived exactly that way. Like, just follow the rules and God's going to love me.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, okay. So that's really a prosperity gospel, isn't it? Which is kind of a it hard. It is yeah. sort
1: of that way, which now I fight against. But I think it's easy for us to fall into that thinking.
0: Yeah. Yep. I liken it to an ATM. Sometimes we think that if we got, I said, God is not our ATM, right? We think that if we put in our faith card and we punch in our pin number of kind of Bible reading and prayer and holy-ish living, you know, (laughs) that we'll get, we'll spit the blessings. And that's what we expect. And then we run into that sometimes where the machine doesn't work right? Because it's not a machine. And so it's not giving us the blessings. And we're like, hey, wait, I did all the things. Did you have a moment like that where you felt like you did all the things and God wasn't doing what he should do?
1: I've had a few of those, but one that really stands out was when my husband, Phil, and I decided through a lot of prayer and seeking God that he was going to leave his career. We were working for a cranberry grower. He was helping manage a cranberry marsh and he was going to leave that career and go into full-time camp ministry. And that ministry meant raising support like a missionary. So here's this maintenance guy who is good at welding and fabricating and diesel mechanics and all that stuff. And then he has to figure out how he's going to raise support as a missionary. Wow! He doesn't love public speaking at all. And so it felt like this monumental thing. But if we only gave it to God and trusted him, he would work out all the details perfectly because we're following his will. (laughs) So (laughs) this is what we thought. Well, I think it's what I secretly thought, even though somehow I knew that wasn't true, (laughs) Yeah. but, um, just months into the support raising things were going really well at first. And so we're like, this is progressing well. And then the transmission went out on our van. And as I'm pulling into the driveway, like it chugged to a stop in the garage and then died. And I thought, okay, Lord, this is huge. I know how much transmissions cost and I have nothing in the bank account to pay for this right now. And we are raising support to be missionaries. So you should work this out. My car, you know, I'm like having this whole lecture with God. Yeah. (laughs) So then I saw that as a sign, like, you know, maybe this is a sign we're not supposed to go into ministry. Maybe this is too hard. So I think it's important to know that God challenges us in different ways. And when something becomes too hard, it's not necessarily a sign that it's a roadblock and he's saying no.
0: Right. Sometimes it's just a thing that happened.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Or just to see if, are you, are you going to pursue this anyway? If I call you to this, are you going to do it? Even if there's personal sacrifice, even if it seems like there's no way it's going to happen so I tend to be somebody who takes bigger risks now because I've seen God come through mm. because I know, okay, somehow there's a way that I didn't expect. And so I think I I am willing to take more risks now knowing that, all right, God, I'm, you've got my back, even if it's going to cost me something.
0: Yeah. So how'd that end up? What happened?
1: So we ended up, getting the transmission fixed and I don't even remember how we found the funds. I have other stories of, you know, how the exact check came in at the right moment. I don't even know how that one worked out, but somehow we did it. And within nine months, my husband had raised uh, a full year of support. So he had enough to go on staff and that was a miracle in and of itself because again, he's not a public speaker or any of those things. So we knew it was God putting it on people's hearts. It was the camp he had grown up going to. Mm. So he had people who were behind it, but it also taught me that I've lived more like a chicken. (laughs) And I got thinking about it one day. I do, I ponder weird things when I'm sitting outside and I was thinking like, why have I never seen a chicken fly over? Like, have you ever thought that like I'm watching geese? So we lived, in a national wildlife reserve. So we had swans and we had eagles and we had like sandhill cranes. And I was like, why have I never seen a chicken fly over? So I was curious about it. And I actually emailed a professor of poultry at Purdue <laughs> because I wanted to know uh, why, don't, why don't chickens fly over? And he was really nice about explaining to me that they are bred for the dinner table really and so they're fattened up and they just are kept so comfortable because they're birds that are fed at home that they don't need to use the equipment even though they have wings they have all the same equipment that other birds have they just don't use it (laughs) so it made me realize that I live a lot of my Christian life in that comfort zone of the chicken who's like so comfortable in the coop and just keep feeding me Lord I'm comfortable here just keep me protected. I'll do anything you want me to do, but not outside of this coop. (laughs) Right. And then I saw the verse, of course, that's in Isaiah about, um, wings of eagles and running and not growing faint. And I realized that God calls us to be eagles with, you know, going long distance and being supported by, by his design. And so, uh, I, I just, that was the analogy that came up in the whole process of us going into camp ministry of like, I don't want to be a chicken. I want to be an eagle.
0: Yeah. Stepping out into something kind of new and and different. Yeah. Yeah, Fascinating. I love that. Wow. I'll never think of chickens the same.
1: No. And there's probably a a poultry professor at Purdue who's like this weird lady (laughs) once emailed me (laughs) and wanted to know why chickens don't fly around except in the coop.
0: Right. Yeah. They'll kind of do a little bit, but they don't, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Wow. (laughs) I love that. Okay. So, uh, how'd you get into writing and kind of what you're doing today?
1: When I was in school, I always liked writing assignments. And so I would, you know, like if the teacher said you need to write a page, I'd write five because I just thought (laughs) that would be cool. (laughs) I'm
0: sure the teacher was like, Oh, good. Oh, good, Michelle.
1: Looking back, I'm like, I wonder if my seventh grade teacher really wanted to read my 20-page drama that I wrote of two girls playing tennis, now that I think back on that. (laughs) (laughs) But I did always love writing. I never thought I would make a career out of it, though, because I don't know how it was when you were in high school. I, I graduated from high school in 1987, and at that time, the career options I mean, the internet hadn't really come on the horizon yet. And so there was like a list of things that you could be, and there were some that paid and some that didn't. So a lot of the things I loved to do didn't pay any money. Yeah. So I went into nursing. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> so, so I became a registered nurse and then realized that even though you can be good at something, it's not necessarily fulfilling. So while I was a stay at home mom 20 years ago, I went to a writer's conference for the first time and found my people. Like I was just exploring thinking, I don't know. I don't think I ever want to write a book, maybe some articles. I don't know. And I went to a Christian writer's conference at Wheaton college called right to publish. And that was where I went back like every year for 15 years or so and really discovered that God had something that didn't necessarily have to pay the bills. And eventually he found the way there, but just trusting him to know that he's given me something that I am passionate about. So pursue it. And so that's how I got into writing.
0: Yeah. That's pretty, pretty amazing that you kind of, you must've wanted to do it or else you wouldn't keep going back to the conference. Like you, oh, there was yeah, something I wanted to there. Do it.
1: Like I spent, it's a five day conference and I spent most of the, the fi- first, those five days that first year crying. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a good thing. I went with a, a roommate who, had been there the year before and she's a successful writer. And so she just encouraged me. And I was crying because it was like, I, it was so confirming and affirming to have God show me that there's different things you can do with the desire to write. You can write devotionals or you can write Christian living. I'm not a fiction writer, but I have friends who are. And just knowing that um, God gives us different things to put on paper and sometimes it's just journaling for family and sometimes it's for publication.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is good. Okay. So you started writing, tell tell us a little more about kind of how you got to where you are now.
1: So I started out writing mostly articles and so I would meet editors at that conference and they would say, sure, send me the article. And then they'd look at it again. And so I had some of those published, And then, even though I said I never would write a book, I never say never, I had this idea for taking the blogging that I was doing and turning it into a book. So I was blogging about trash to treasure decorating. And I started to see how it was a metaphor for life in that God takes our trash, our difficult experiences, and turns it into something for his glory. So I started to think about life being like, repurposed, upcycled. And so I started to tie those themes into some of the decorating things I was showing, like garage sale finds that I'd turn into something. And that was when the book idea came where I thought, well, I could write some chapters and each one could have a little tie into that idea of God repurposing difficulty in our lives. So it's, a Christian living book. And that was the first one that I did. And it's called the repurposed and upcycled life. When God turns trash to treasure.
0: I love that, which is a really great, I mean, he does that all the time, right? I mean you can see that. Right. I mean, I mean look at Paul, look at, or, you know, anybody you can look through mm-hmm. their through Paul's their life. one of
1: my favorite stories actually, because he's the classic and because he's a Pharisee. So yeah. I can really relate to that whole idea of like God gripping him and giving him a new direction. And Something that you know, Paul started out with something intended for evil, and again, probably it was he was a religious zealot. He was pursuing it with his whole heart, thinking he was doing the right thing. And then God gripped him and said, "Nope, that's not it." And he turned him around. Yeah. And so I love the idea that you know Paul still had flaws. He talks about things that he struggled with, and that's the whole idea for me of a repurposed life: is that there still are flaws. We still have scars. It's not like it's perfect. And we don't look at every situation and try to find the reason for it. That isn't the idea of it. It's really more like, what's God going to do through this that's beautiful?
0: Oh, yeah. Which is a whole different perspective, isn't it? That's different than the one, sounds like you grew up with, certainly the one I grew up with, right? Where there's always something, you know, there's a meaning. I got to find it.
1: Right. And I still fall into that sometimes. And then I have to let that go and think, okay, no, I don't have to know the reason or the meaning behind it. But I do have to look at what is God showing me? Is he teaching me something about myself? Because there's like some pride or something he needs to like, just rip out and replace with something different. Or is he teaching me by opening my eyes to see somebody else? So one of the biggest things for me that's changed in the last 20 years after really seeing how much like a Pharisee my mindset was, is being able to see other people's pain and being able to look at other people and feel empathy and true compassion for them and not like that feeling of disgust or, you know, like stay away from me. So I think that's the biggest transformation in my own heart. Yeah.
0: Have you ever felt like I was far away or, or like gone through a spiritual desert of any kind?
1: Hmm. I think I have had some, it's been a while now, but I think if I could look back at the years that I was struggling with, um, do I go back to my career as a registered nurse? Do I continue as a stay at home mom? we were living out in a remote area on this Cranberry Marsh. And so I was far from other people. And I remember not only being far from other people, but thinking, God, are you still there? You know, are you, Yeah, do you have a plan? And that was when I was exploring writing too. So it was about the time that I went to the first writer's conference, which probably explains why I cried through the whole conference (laughs) because it felt like God showed up and said, this is the path I've had for you.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's really powerful. I'm really curious about the cranberry marsh. Cause I've never, is that in Wisconsin?
1: Yeah. It was in the center of the state.
0: Wow. I didn't know they grew up so we there.
1: Not too far from Tomo, Wisconsin. And Warren's is where the big cranberry festival is every year.
0: I had no so, idea. I lived seven years yeah. in, in like the Northern suburbs of Chicago. And I think I said this to, to you last time, but Wisconsin is really Illinois playground. So <laughs> we, we would go up there and play around, but um Yeah. Yeah, Wisconsin
1: has more cranberries. Well, I don't know where it's at now, but over the years it's often been the number one cranberry producer in the nation.
0: I had no idea. That's amazing. Wow. So
1: all that lowland marsh in the middle of the state and then up North, there's some of that too, where uh, it needs to have a really, a big seasonal change, hot growing weather and cool fall. And that's what makes them turn red.
0: Oh, so that's why I like, the, so up north is good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. hmm
0: Yep. I had no idea. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah, so you learned so something. I used
1: to put on waders and harvest season and go out and pull the irrigation pipes out and throw them up on the banks so that my husband could drive by in his heated beater machine uh-huh. while I was out in the ice in my waiters. No, it's not really, it's not that pathetic, but <laughs> it was like one month of the year I did it to earn Christmas shopping money.
0: <laughs> there you go. And you go out and you pull it, pull it out. And then he, Yep. He is, oh. I pull
1: the irrigation lines out. Yeah.
0: And they they harvest it, huh? Yep. Fascinating. Well, see that's by itself. I think it's kind of interesting. I didn't, I had no idea how that works. So
1: yeah, the whole process of growing him is interesting too.
0: Yeah. Different kind of plant, I guess. Mm. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Okay, well, so I'm also really interested in your newest book, "Classic Marriage: Staying in Love as Your Odometer Climbs," which I, I think is really a clever way to to go about that. Um, Thank you, you. You kind of play on that uh, that uh, picture of the old truck there on the on the cover. Yeah, <laughs> Cru- the classic. Yeah, Cru- <laughs> cruise around in the front seat of our 30 year marriage. I love that. What uh, what what have you learned? Like, what what's some things that you've learned and in, in sharing there.
1: Um, My husband and I worked on the book together. He's not a writer, but I felt like I couldn't write a marriage book without his involvement. So we've been married over 30 years. So what I did was write the chapters and then I read each one of them to him. We had a lot of date nights that way. And then I'd read and then write down his comments about the chapters. So scattered throughout the book are speech balloons. And those contain his sometimes snarky, fun comments about each of the stories that I tell in the book. So we talk about the journey God has taken us on from being high school sweethearts and getting married when I was 20, and then um, just walking through some of the things we've been through. I couldn't really have written the book five years ago, even though I started writing it five years ago and couldn't figure out why I couldn't finish the book. And I realized that God still had a couple of significant things to work on in our communication And just being open about things. And so um, the biggest takeaway from the book is how communicating is what keeps us strong and together. And that over the years, even couples married 20 years, 30 years more, there's still things that you can learn about how to communicate better and how to be stronger in your marriage. So we give some tools at the end of each chapter for a couple to take out on a date night and sit down and, and discuss.
0: Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah, that's totally true. I think, you know, so we're, we're like you, we actually both got, we are me and my wife are high school sweethearts. We got married at, at 20, you know, and, uh, we always look at that and we sometimes go, I don't was that a good idea? You know, like we were so immature and so
1: we were, yeah. Not
0: ready for that, but having no idea. And now I have a daughter who's eighteen. I'm like, no, she's not getting married. <laughs> yeah, years. I
1: know. It was weird. Like, um, well, we have two sons and they're both married now. One of them sort of lived out our story by marrying a girl he met at our church and they were the same age as we were when they got married and they just had their first baby two weeks ago. So now I'm a grandma. So that's fun. Yeah. But you know, watching them and we're thinking, yeah, that was us. I think it helps us to love and support them better. Yeah. Just knowing, you know, okay. Yeah. We went through that too. And, and we weren't, we learned how to handle this in mature ways. And um, I learned how to use my inside voice more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Right. So we talk
1: about that in the book too. We talk about how sometimes we have unhealthy reactions. We talk about how we assume things about what the other person is thinking and how that can lead to years of some distancing between us until on one of them it was a misunderstanding about a gift my husband gave me for my birthday and I didn't love it at all it was the wrong size and he couldn't return it because of the bargain method he had gone about getting it through his sister Uh and the argument we had from that led him to drive out in his truck and pretend he destroyed this nightgown that he had given me and and me inside crying and later our kids said yeah that night we thought you guys were going to get divorced i was like oh my goodness it rips my heart out to think they were listening to this whole thing right and it wasn't until like five years ago, we went to a seminar at church that we had to talk about some of our hardest moments that we, in a room full of other people at a, in a private conversation, yeah. you know, it's like you're at your own little table. And I was like, yeah, I still remember the nightgown incident. And we talked about it. And finally we're able to see each other's point of view after yeah. like, that yeah, was 15, 20 years before we could see the other person's point of view.
0: Yeah. Wow. See, okay. How do you avoid that? How do you, how do you stop, <laughs> not go so through so long? We
1: wish that we had talked about it, you know, back then, but the problem was we didn't have tools and resources on how to think about the other person and to talk it out. So, actually what would have probably helped us was to have a counselor or a mentor involved in our life back then. And we just had all this growing up in the church shame. Like if you're going to go see a counselor, it must mean you're like on the verge of divorce. Right. And I look at him like, no, I think every counselor should have an annual checkup or every uh, marriage should have an annual checkup with a counselor, just like you do with your doctor. Let's just go in and Chat about some things.
0: Wow. That's such a great, that's great advice. Man, I don't think so. I've been, we just celebrated 23 years of marriage. I don't think we've ever done that, right? Like, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I know. It's like, and we haven't either. Instead, what we did was go to the seminar at church. And, and, um, six years ago when he was on sabbatical, we got a couple of different marriage resources. And during that time, we'd listen to an audio book and watched a video series. But even that didn't, help us communicate. It was the being in a room where they said, sit down and talk with your spouse about this right now. That was what made us communicate. And so if we just made it a normal thing where we just all do this, there wouldn't be this shame because honestly, premarital counseling I think is almost a waste of time because we had such rose colored glasses that we thought none of this stuff is going to ever affect us. Right. Like the fact that he chews loud is not going mean, to like we we're a month into our marriage when that was bothering me
0: or yes. I mean, he
1: could never leave anything out that would make me mad, you know. But then mm. I think post marital counseling, like if you took and just flipped it <laughs> right. to like the first 12 months of marriage, you're going to see a counselor every month. I think that would be so much more helpful than 12 months of premarital counseling. Oh
0: my goodness. What an investment too, that would be, right? Just invest in your marriage, go to a counselor once a month for your first 12, maybe 24 months. I don't know. We could have used like five years probably, but it's, you know, it definitely, Oh my goodness. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I love that. Okay. That's a great idea. And when my kids start
1: a post-marital counseling service, <laughs>
0: post-marital counseling. Yeah. Or like, uh, even just imagine that as a wedding gift, right? Like, right. A,
1: it would be great.
0: Wow. How, what, an, what an actual investment instead of a new plate or whatever it is like, yeah, that, that'd be great. Wow. Okay. But I think
1: we can all do that in our everyday life. Like if you're in a small group at church or you run into people in you know, different places in different circles, why not invest in a couple Like have them to dinner and actually ask, is there anything we as an older, because I talk in the book about older married couples, we talk about young marrieds, but like, where's the old marrieds? Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, what if the old marrieds invested by just saying, what can we do that would help love and support you as somebody who's been married half the time we have? And I think we can do it without even official counseling.
0: Yeah, that's phenomenal. Is this, by the way, on the cover of this book? Is this you?
1: Uh, um, with the truck that's us yeah that's you that's
0: awesome very cool
1: yep I love that yeah so we did the classic truck analogy just because my husband is so into restoring jeeps so we had a photo shoot done with one of the jeeps he and my son own and so um, he's very proud of the fact that that truck is on the cover
0: he should be that's cool I love it and it reflects both of you so I think that's kind of cool yeah Really? Yeah.
1: So like I'm repurposing stuff and talking about the repurposed life and then he's repurposing trucks. And, um, you know, he's, he spends a lot of time on Facebook marketplace, looking for parts for the trucks that he's restoring. And I joke because when he gets, he goes to get parts and they always come with, four wheels and axles you know so it comes with a whole truck because we needed the bumper but it had a classic radio in it so we might as well get the whole thing yeah so yeah that happens oh that's fun
0: (laughs) the the joys of hobbies yeah man one time when we were living in chicago when ebay was like real new i bid on like a 1965 ford mustang Ooh. i no, well it, it sounds great right but I don't know anything about cars. Like I'm not, I'm not a gearhead. I just, it's bad news. And it needed a lot of fixing up. And I was, I spent a sleepless night thinking I was going to win that thing and oh, trying yeah, to figure I out I what I was going to uh, do.
1: It remorse before <laughs> yeah. on eBay. I hope someone else wins it. Right. And they did
0: ultimately, <laughs> but I was, it was funny. Anyway, you reminded me of that story. Uh, Michelle, that's great. I really appreciate your story of, uh, you know, just just growing in, you know, maybe compassion uh, for others and, and learning about the Lord and then how, how he repurposes stuff. I think that's really great. Where can people find you?
1: They can find me at MichelleRayburn.com. And that's where my podcast is there and my books are there. And each podcast has a little article that goes with it to encourage my readers.
0: That's perfect. Is there anything you want to leave us with?
1: I just want people to have a message of hope and knowing that if you're in a place right now where you feel as if you know, everything's a mess or you don't know where God's taking you, you're not sure what the next step is, that there is hope and that God has a plan for us. It's not just from those poor spiritual laws. It really is true that God has a plan for us, but that plan is when we walk alongside of him at his pace. And so I just want to give you that encouragement that with god's help you can do it and that your life can be repurposed too
0: amen i love that god is in the repurposing business i think and uh over and over and over again in scripture in church history uh go back through the halfway there archives friends and you'll find lots and lots of those stories i love it i think it's a it's a great message michelle thanks so much for being here i appreciate it
1: yeah thanks for having me this is really fun